Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of the Celtics Collective with the new hosting partners of Keith Smith, that's the legend on my left, and myself, Mr. Adam Taylor. You'll know me from the earlier episodes of the Celtics Collective, but it's been revamped a little bit, so me and Keith will be your guys on the show moving forward. Keith, man, how's it going? It's going good, man. Not not going so good for the seas, but but we'll get into that. But you know, it's good. I'm excited to do this with you and and uh, get to share some Celtics thoughts, some some more Boston specific stuff, and a uh, a different format because as as I know you know quite well, it's the the podcasting and, and video format is far different from the uh, writing format. You can just sometimes explain yourself a little differently and hopefully better uh, sometimes, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll let, we'll let the, we'll let the viewers and listeners tell us if we did better or not with that. <laughs> better than the writing. I mean, <laughs> it is a lot easier to convey a point when they can hear tone. Tone makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So for anyone listening, we're just going to give you the rundown of the show is going to be like this. We're going to talk about the Brooklyn game and then the Knicks game from Sunday night, Monday. Oh, I watched it Monday. That's where I got confused there. Talk about a few different players' roles, the chat, what we're seeing from them. And then we're going to look forward to the Cavs game, which is happening later today. We're recording on Monday and probably look a little bit further ahead towards the Trailblazers. This show will be twice a week, so we will be looking ahead a few days and then we'll do the recaps of what we learn and what, what we're seeing change as we go on. So I think if we just start with the Nets, because that was probably an agree the most egregious loss uh, in recent memory, I don't think... It's definitely a contender for worst loss of the season. I'm not sure whether I'd put it at the top. You know, there's been a few tough losses, few losses where the Celtics just looked like they didn't have it. There was no gas in the tank. But this one was rough, right? To start off so hot, um, to build that lead, and then to just crumble. Like, they got rattled. They got sped up. And, once they're, and what you see with the Celtics, especially this year, is once they're sped up, they don't really have a way of hitting the brakes and calming things down and going back to the actions that find, they find success with. So I just want to get your takeaways from that game, what you saw that you thought was like fixable but needed to be fixed instantly, like it's an urgent fix. Yeah, I'll start with, I do think this is the worst loss of the season for the Celtics. I know they got destroyed by the Thunder in that game where the Thunder played a bunch of backups, but they were never in that game. They got killed right from the jump in that game. And every once in a while, there's an old saying of, you know, it's basically, it's something didn't, I don't know what the exact quote is, and it maybe probably even isn't a basketball quote, but it's something like, you know, four to 10 times a season, you're going to have nothing and you're going to get killed. Four to 10 times a season, you're going to be able to, do no wrong and you're going to kill the teams you play. And then your season is really made in the middle. It's, it's what do you do in those games where you're having to figure it out And this one with the nets, it started like they were going to kill them. And, but they were even troubling signs when they were up big that off the backboard alley-oop that Jalen Brown tried to Rob Williams just showed a complete lack of care and seriousness towards that game that then came back to bite them. And what I'll say is I think the Celtics have, kind of a twofold problem in those situations you were talking about they get sped up i think what happens is they go into coast mode so it's like right you're you're cruising down the highway at you know sorry dad i'm gonna use miles per hour because you know so you're, you'll just have to pull out your your translator oh we use miles yeah we use okay miles all right perfect all right perfect so you're cruising down the highway at 70 miles per hour right then you get into a position where it is 
all of a sudden you get off the highway and you go into coast mode and you're like, you know, maybe, maybe you're on the, the Pacific coast highway along the ocean and you're, you're going 30 miles an hour, but then it's time to get back to 70. Well, it's not that quite that easy. Right. And I think what happens is it takes them a long time to get back up to speed. So what they instead try to do is instead of gradually ramping back, they try to go from zero to a hundred to make up for the time they were coasting. And then that's where it all falls apart. So I think it's kind of a combination of they shut it down too early. And in this Nets game, I mean, they basically went into coast mode midway through the first period. And we're like, all right, this is dumb. We've got this. And it was a, collection of stupid stuff bad passes lazy effort on defense and all those things and then they just couldn't turn it back on and for all that the nets are no longer the the nets right the kd and Kyrie nets they've still got a bunch of dudes who play really hard and are pretty good basketball players and yeah you could probably get away with that against the right now pistons or rockets or spurs because they don't have the talent gap to overcome you you know, shutting it down like that. Whereas the Nets, they've got more than enough talent still on that roster. And that's where that became the problem for me. I think just the effort just was really, really poor throughout that entire game. Even when they were up big, it just, they, they weren't playing the right way, right? With the right level of seriousness. How do you feel about their shot generation? Because that's been a big issue for me recently. I put this out on Twitter about 20 minutes ago. To begin the year when they, when the Celtics were, like the best offense in the NBA. And we were talking like, you know, historical levels of success offensively. Everything was predicated on paint touches, right? You you wanted to get into the paint, drive into the defense, force those rotations, and then you were looking for the kick out. And then if you needed to, swing pass, swing pass, find the open man. But it was all predicated on paint touches. Now with what's what is it left now? 17 games left of the season? Something like that, yeah. I think the Celtics great. are 15th in drives per game and 24th in paint touches. There's been a significant shift away from what they were successful with to start the year, and it's a lot more. Um, they're running a lot more on the perimeter, a lot more wide pin downs, some decoy actions going on on the weak side just to keep the defense honest so nobody's shifting over. But every all the shot generation is coming from perimeter actions, or to all is disingenuous, a large portion. And I feel like that is a lot easier to guard at times because you're not forcing those rotations. You can soft switch a little bit earlier than what you could if there was drives taking place. How are you feeling there? Because I feel like they're just putting too much. There's an overemphasis on the free at this point for a team that is capable, but is showing that, you know, they still need to generate them in a more efficient manner than what we're seeing right now. Yeah, I wrote about this for Celtics blog t- today. I the, the takeaways that I do after each game. This one I did more in general, like because people were saying, like, like, can you please tell us what you're actually worried? Like, what are things you're really worried about? What are things you're not worried about? And one of the things I wrote about, okay, it was kind of your point is it took up kind of two takeaways for me. One is it's that lack of getting inside. And that doesn't necessarily mean getting inside and post-ups and playing, you know, 1990s style basketball. Like that is just but getting inside to create things, whether it's ball movement, player movement, get the defense scrambled. That's the beauty of the Warriors. I always go back to when they were at the peak, like Warriors, Warriors-ness, uh, they were playing the Orlando Magic, and it was a Sunday afternoon game. And this was when um, 
uh, Frank Vogel was coaching the Magic, and he said, you know, everybody thinks about the three pointers because of Stephen Curry and and Clay Thompson. He goes, but what kills you is the layups. He's like, because they will just they'll run you, they'll run you, they'll run you. They'll even in the half court. There's never they, they they're just a constant you know motion with with that team. I think what happens with the Celtics when they get sloppy. To your point, like you 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 did a much better job putting numbers to it than I'm going to, but they they tend to get into these. It just becomes very stagnant. It becomes almost like what playoff basketball was for a little while, which was hunt the mismatch, find the mismatch, and attack. They, you can still do that, but I think defenses have adapted to fine. You're going to find the mismatch, but then we're going to load to the ball and make it hard on you out of that. Or if you want to take 20 seconds of the 24 second shot clock to hunt out that mismatch, that's fine. But now you're left with under five seconds left to work and you're going to probably get a bad shot off um, with that, or at least a contested shot and a contested shot by a bad defender is still not always a great shot. Right. So, so I think what happens in these situations with the, um, with the Celtics is it does become very sloppy with that. And part of me, what I wonder is, is this because they're tired? Are they bored? Um, It's very easy to just come down run a simple screen action, get the switch, and then attack the switch. It's also very easy, like you said, to one guy stands at the top of the key, you wait for a bunch of pin downs to develop, guy pops free, takes the shot. That's not that it's bad basketball or unselfish basketball. What they're not mixing in, which I liked at the beginning of the year when they play their best, is that read and react stuff, where it's not even necessarily a set. It's just flow. Right, you you get the ball up the floor quickly. I think there's a major difference. I have not looked this up, and I need to. When they get the ball up the floor in the first six eight seconds of the shot clock and get into something, whether it's a set play or just a concept type set, where it's all right, we're going to be wide, we're going to the floor floor space, and we're going to play this way. I think they're much better than the team that walks the ball up and gets into something where it's. Now we're getting into whatever we're going to run with under 10 on the shot clock. That just makes everything harder on yourself because you don't have that second, sometimes uh, not even the first pass there. So I think what they need to do is play quicker. That doesn't mean you're going to run on everything. People get that very confused. Just get the ball up the floor and get into something. Give yourself those options for second, third, fourth passes. Because when they do that, that's when all of a sudden you're like, oh boy, this team is tough to defend. And they can. That's the thing that's probably most annoying about it with the Celtics is they've got the ball movers and passers and creators that can do all that stuff. It's they, they settle into what's easy versus just doing it more often. And that, that gets extremely frustrating for me. I think their ball movement has also been disingenuous to the eye test. Like, if you watch them against the, the Nets and then versus the Knicks, there was multiple plays to begin both games where the Celtics were swinging the rock side to side and finding the open man. But what wasn't happening compared to what happened, and this goes to your point uh, of playing with pace, what wasn't happening was people weren't moving once they got off the ball. It was yeah. very, like, I remember... I was about 16 at the time and we first got college games on TV for a, a brief time. And it was, they used to swing the ball at really high pace, but nobody would cut off yep. of the path. Right. It's <laughs> just going, exactly. You're just pinging it around the perimeter yeah. for dirt. Well, back then it was probably 30 seconds of the trying to find somebody right? open. Right. Yep. And that's how I feel like the Celtics have been the last few yep. games. Like, 
and they're getting the credit. You hear the crowd cheer. You can hear the people like scowl on the play call. Like this is great ball movement. And I'm like, but that's all it is. It's ball movement. And I think that that word is thrown around so often that people kind of just, if the ball's moving, everything's fine. No, you need to be cut. When that ball comes out of your hands, you need to be moving, cutting, dragging defenders with you, creating driving lanes, creating mismatches somewhere. And then when you swing the ruck, now it's a genuinely open shot rather than analytically open because it's very easy saying, oh, he's five feet away, it's wide open. Yeah. Some of these dudes have three-foot wingspans. <laughs> yeah. There was a play in the Cavs game last Wednesday where they did it the way I think you and I both think is the right way where there was cutters through, there were there were drivers, there was kickouts, and it resulted in Tatum taking about a 15-foot baseline j- jumper. And I remember calling it out because I was like, this is one of the best possessions they've had in, like, weeks. And it resulted in a shot that it was like, oh, what a, you know, oh, my God, 15-foot jump shot. Like, why? Why would you ever take that? And it's like, because it's like, that's a good shot for him, right? He, he can make that shot. Like that's, yo, that that's a very good shot uh, for him. So yeah, that's fine. I'm also fine with if the play doesn't, doesn't end in an assisted basket. If it came out of, Hey, we had a bunch of movement and then we found the guy with his defender leaning the wrong way and he dribbled into a layup or a pull up or whatever it is. That's fine too. As long as there's ball and player movement, because that's the key part, right? Ball and player movement. That's the, I think what gets lost to to your point is ball movement is one thing, player movements, a whole other thing entirely. That's, that's what it is with that. I'll say this too. Just one other stat I dug out. Jalen Brown is now at the highest three point attempts per game he's ever taken, taken, but he's at the lowest um, rate of assisted three pointers. So that says to me, we're in a spot where he has now joined Jason Tatum in, and you can see it just eye test wise when you watch. There's a lot more dribble, 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 take a step back. And fine, right? That's going to happen out of those two guys. They're the stars. They create. That's where it goes. But I think what we also run into, we just got to be a little bit better of move the ball. It'll come back to you, right? It'll find you. It finds the right energy if you play the right way. And Smart, White, Brogdon, Rob, Al, Grant, the main guys who are going to play on this team, they will find the right passes and the right players if they're there. So that's just where we don't need to rely too much on these dribble into a bunch of stuff and then take a launch, you know, contested 30 footer, whether it's off a pull up or a step back or whatever it is in Tatum and Brown, it feels like we're starting to get a little too overly reliant on those. And we can tie those two points together, right? Being willing to take mid range shots along with, over dribbling hero ball is kind of like the, sure. the term everybody coins it with. Uh, but we can tie that in when you look at the Knicks game, first of all, the, and we can say with the Nets as well, first, both of those teams don't really have that guy that they let over dribble. Julius Randall may be probably the most guilty. of. <laughs> yeah, game, I would say he, but... he probably does. <laughs> <laughs> But they were taking mid-range shots. You had Emmanuel quickly was curling off pin downs and just get into a spot where he felt comfortable. It wasn't... RJ Barrett, too. RJ Barrett. Even Randall as well. Let's give him, like, you know, we I'll throw his name in there. And then Bridges was doing the same for Brooklyn. And I understand that, hey, this is probably... You've got the lowest conversion percentage out of all your two-point shots. If you're going to shoot a midi, you might as well shoot a... I get the arguments for it, but... 
you need to be able to show a team that you can score from three levels for them to be willing to defend you on three levels. And then you can manipulate what the defense does. If you're only shooting layups and threes, they're going to open up that mid range all day. And then it's on you to start actually taking shots from there and punishing them for doing so. Oh, perfect example. What was the game winner? Kevin Durant hit Sunday afternoon. It's a pull up mid range shot. Now he's Kevin Durant, right? He's going to get to that shot whenever he wants. No one can block it. But Jason Tatum can get to that shot if he wants it, right? He can get to that 12 to 18-foot mid-range pull-up shot you know, when he wants to. And he should, quite frankly, right? Like that's – that's my thing is – and it was funny. Someone on Twitter today said – the number one thing people have gotten wrong about analytics is saying that all mid-range shots are bad. Yeah. And that's, that's never what analytics said. It was good mid-range shots by good mid-range shooters are still good shots, right? Shots by bad mid-range shooters. Like I don't want Sam Hauser dribbling into mid-range jumpers because he's probably not going to be very good at it. Right. Like, but I go back to like Kemba Walker when he was healthy and playing well, he killed teams with that mid-range pull-up, right? Like, there's no reason why guys like Tatum and Brown, I shouldn't put Brown in there. That's that's bad on me because Brown does get to that mid-range shot quite quite often, and he's pretty effective with it. Tatum's shots have basically he's all but eliminated that. He takes now it's I pulled it this morning something like 12 percent of all of his shots come in the mid-range now, and I guarantee most of those are either some fadeaway out of an improvised post-up. Or it's a late clock thing where he's, you know, been throwing a grenade and he's just going to throw something on the rim. So, you know, there's no reason why I would love to see now. I mean, I love the step backs. I love all the other stuff he does. I love he is getting to the rim more than ever. He's finishing better than, than he usually does. All those things. I love how much he gets to the free throw line now. But yeah, you want to be on that level, that that KD level of a score, you can pull up two, three times a game from 15 feet in the mid-range because no one's going to be able to block it. They're not going to be able to get to it. Just get get to that shot and get it off. And I, I think, think that's something I want to see come back in his game. The dribble for 20 seconds, launch a Kobe fadeaway. Yeah, that, that, that worked for Kobe because he's Kobe. Like, that's not going to work for you. Good. I don't want those to ever come back, right? Those are the ones that drove us all crazy in, like, his third year. But now, you know, you want to get into the off-the-bounce, rise and fire. But by all means, man, get get into that shot. And it's going to be there for you. As I said, defenses are going to open that shot up for you until you start making them because they know that's not your shot profile. But the problem is at the moment, and you saw it with the Knicks predominantly, they're very willing to pressure you on the perimeter, try and force yeah. mistakes, and then trust in their backline defense to rotate over and take away the rim because they, they don't feel threatened by anybody in that mid-range area. Yep. And that just allows so much more... Like I wrote about it today, it'll come out later in an article. Like the blueprint on how to how to stymie the Celtics, and the number one point was you have a high picker. You pick these guys high up on the floor, a foot or two above the perimeter, because you don't need to be scared of them attacking a closeout and going into a pull up. If they do attack the closeout, they're going to drive to the rim, but they're not driving frequently. So what they're most likely going to do is swing it elsewhere on the perimeter. There's no like there's there's not a fear factor there right now of how they can punish you offensively and that was there earlier in the season i do want to ask you though moving on i think we've been quite <laughs> to the celtics so far i do want to ask you um 
How do you think the Celtics are doing against like big, strong centers? Like Mitchell Robinson had had two very dominant games against the Celtics in very short space of time. Um, and then you see like the Cavs, Jarrett Allen always does well because he's explosive. I think I've got some thoughts on the Cavs when we get there. But do you think that's an area where it's kind of like, man, should we really see Blake a little bit more just because he's the stronger of the big rotation? Um, to the last part of that, maybe. I, I just I want Joe Missoula to settle into a big rotation. This night tonight of and it, Grant is almost I know he had the DMP a couple games ago, but he does almost always play. But some nights now he's playing six minutes, and then other nights yeah. like last night it was 40 minutes. Um and then Mascala plays and then doesn't play, and then Cornette plays, doesn't play. Blake gets thrown out there. I understand fully when he throws Blake out there, like, hey, I need to change the energy, right? I need to get the, the lift. That's different. That's a whole different thing because that's generally you're talking a five-minute stretch, change the energy, and go. I just settle into whatever your big rotation is going to be, and I realize right now it's probably going to be in flux because Rob is out. So I get that part of it. But when they're healthy, like, it's going to be Al, Rob, and Grant. Just pick the fourth guy. I don't care if you pick Cornette or Muscala. Just run with them, right? Now, to the rest of your point on that, I do think they have some struggles with with the bigs. because, But it's in a weird way. I think it's late in games is where they struggle with those guys. The late game rebounding is bad. And what's weird about it is they're the best re defensive rebounding team in the league. <laughs> like, I know that probably sounds crazy. And people think I'm making that up, but I promise I'm not. They are the best defensive rebounding team in the NBA. And that's all, like, that's basically across the board when you adjust for pace and shot rates and all the other things. And they force no turnovers or very few turnovers. So they're constantly facing shots. But the late game rebounding is bad. And a lot of that comes out of, it's either Al on the floor by himself as the lone big. And your challenge there is, I love Al Horford. I've always been a huge fan of his. He's never been a great rebounder. It's never been what, what he is. It's never been what he's been paid to do. He's always been paid for all of his other skills. But Tatum and Brown, they leak out too often. They, they yeah. start to, to try to run down the floor. The guards aren't as good about crashing back on the boards as I think they could be. So he got to do something. And then when Rob and Grant are on the floor – Rob, you got to find bodies, man. You can't, you can't, you, you're not going to out jump Mitchell Robinson. He, Mitchell Robinson took a rebound right over the top of him. Cause guess what? Mitchell Robinson's just as athletic as you are. And he's bigger than you are. Jared Allen's giving him similar problems. Cause again, he's, he's bigger, bigger than you are. And he's just as athletic and as good as you are. So those are the challenges for him. Find bodies against those guys, you know, and then when Grant's out there, it's going to be, you, you just got to, you got to get your body into somebody and push them back and not look to flop for fouls and all the other stuff that he likes to try to, you know, engage in down there. But yeah, I think the rebounding is fine. I think the defense against those guys is fine, except for that one point of that late game. And it cost them against the Knicks because they, the Knicks had that one possession where they got, I don't know, it was like, a bunch of rebounds, or I guess it wasn't one possession, but it was like three possessions in a row where they got second and third chances at it. And that just can't happen late in games. You got to be able to close out because you're wasting too many good defensive possessions by not securing the ball. Yeah. And I feel like when they're doing, when they're throwing bodies they're, and they're boxing out, then I don't feel like they're keeping enough contact on the box out yep. because you see sometimes exactly people are just sneaking from behind them and they don't even realize that their man's gone. 
and then they're like, oh, hold on. My guys just grabbed the, the offensive board. And yep. the, the, when I was playing basketball, I always got taught you sink your butt into their thighs because then you know if they move because now you don't feel their thighs on your butt. Yep. And it sounds silly, but it, you always know where your man is. And, and Can I say one more thing with that too? Because this is related, I think, to kind of a bigger point that I've had been making is I think the Celtics are either tied, tired, they're bored, or both. And I think it's probably a little bit of both because when you're tired and bored doing the little things like a proper box out, setting better screens, cutting through all that stuff. It just, it's just, it's stuff you have to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you just don't want to do it. And it's like, it, I, I, it's just like having senioritis at the end of the school year. Right. When you're like, Man, I, I know I should probably write one more paragraph in this paper, but I'm just gonna pass it in because uh, you know an 85 is fine, right? Like I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to run out the string here. But you do too much of that, now all of a sudden that 85 turns into a 65, and all of a sudden you're wondering, like, wait, am I gonna graduate? Like, right? Like, and that's where I think if you're the Celtics, is yeah, all right, you you've had, you had your senioritis moment here. You 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 already had your version of spring break because the All Star break happened. But you gotta just lock back in and like find the joy in that everyday grind of like, I'm going to do things the right way. And I, there's going to be games again, where it's just not going to happen. It just can't happen as often as it's happening right now. The next game I saw, I had a lot of people saying like, I just, I can't get by with this lack of effort. I didn't see a real lack of effort in the next game. I thought the effort was good. I just thought the execution was crap. Like that was the the bigger problem on too many plays. And let's give the Knicks credit. They made some great plays, quickly played amazing. Um, There's other problems that I think guys like him, I think guys like him now are kind of the Celtics Achilles heel um, defensively because Marcus Smart's just not the same guy. And I, you know, every play basis defensively, he still comes up with the big time highlight defensive player of the year plays. And he had a couple of those against the Knicks. They also had a bunch of plays where Emmanuel quickly blew by him on the perimeter and broke down the defense and either got himself a shot or created stuff off the rotation. So those are the things that I think lock in on that stuff, find that everyday joy, find joy in the grind and the process again, and everything will start to clean itself back up. Yeah. I think that one thing I want, one thing I want to touch on just a bigger picture and then we'll go into our previews. The cell, like, I'm not one to look at like defensive rating and take it for gospel. Like, I use it as an indicator. Like, hey, mm-hmm. if a team's a top five defensive team, the indication is I'm going to expect good defensive principles, good defensive structure. But what I will say is the Celtics haven't found that championship core defense that they had last year all season long. Yeah, I, I think that Rob hasn't been as impactful as a Roma. I think teams have figured out how to box him out of being able to rotate over from the weak side. His explosiveness just doesn't seem to be there right now compared to where it was at this time last season before the injury. Was his injury? Did he get well around? You know when he was still healthy. Sure. I can't remember yeah. exactly when he went down. It was about a year ago. Yeah. yeah so coming leading up to this point. But then you look at the perimeter defense just looks a little bit more porous. Guys, screen navigation seems to have got a little bit worse. There was a play against New York where they ran just a a standard, um, it was like a Miami action, a pistol action. So it was a handoff on the wing into a screen at the top of the perimeter for quickly. And Tatum Tatum switches on to quickly um, off that handoff and gets caught up straight on the screen and really struggles to navigate around it, quickly just walks into a pull-up uh, pull up mid-range, and he, and he sinks it. And that screen navigation last season, 
Tatum would have either shut the gap early to try and beat quickly to his mark, or he would have gone over the screen instead of trying to go under. And when the guard, when you're guarding probably the highest hand on the court, you don't really want to be going under the screen at any point anyway. So it's just decision-making screen navigation. So I understand that their principles are sound, but their execution recently has been really questionable. Mm-hmm. And it's so it is on both ends for me. I just think there's bad decision-making happening and whether Missoula's implemented something new and it's taking time to kind of, you know, the, those baby steps to implement it. I don't know. But at the moment, there's a it, lot that I'm not happy with. Yeah, let me say one thing on the Rob stuff too, is he, he whether he is actually a step slow or he's just tentative, like he doesn't seem like the same guy. I'm out there and that's on both ends of the floor. There's flashes of it. So we know it's still there. Um, the other thing is with the Romer defense, think what teams are doing now. I've noticed is what they're doing is rather than just planting the guy, whoever he's covering in that generates the weak side corner. Now what they're doing is they're running a second guy through. Then the weak side guy who Rob is presumably roaming off of, he lifts and is lifting out. Then it's a real shooter in the corner. And you see, he's like, wait, I can't leave that guy. Like I I have to, like now I can't leave because it's not, you know, the guy we want to shoot uh, out there, hanging out there. So those, you can still see at times, I'm going to go all the way back to the Lakers games. They can execute a pretty kind of on the fly adjustment, like having Luke Cornett guard Russell Westbrook by being like, Hey Russ, I'm like in a whole other city. And like, when you have the ball, like, right. I'm going to, I'm going to go hang out almost underneath the rim. Like that's how far away from you I am. And that's not, that seems like an easy thing to do, but it's really not because that involves all five guys. Cause otherwise all Luke's kind of doing is standing and gumming up things. So they can still do it. It's just, it's that execution on a consistent basis. And that leads me to believe, I think they're just kind of bored. I think they're just kind of, all right, this is great, but the playoffs is what matters. And when you look at it, this core group, they've been in nothing but big games their entire careers, whether it be you know East finals or the finals last year for most of this roster. And I think for them, they're just kind of playing it out. Like, I don't really care about this right now right like the guy i i don't want to make that effort to fight through this screen to get there to beat the guy to the spot because it's there they'll do it sometimes smart good example last night he took a couple big charges and the things that he does in those plays and Derek white's pretty good about that and brogdon's okay with that sometimes but yeah there's just two more often than not it's just a bunch of guys are kind of like yeah it's it's just not going to happen today right because it's it's uh you know march 5th and i don't I don't want to, right? And I, you know, and that's it's 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 hard because that's so frustrating, right? Because those are those are the things with that to me is the perfect example of analytics and eye test match up, right? Because it's like, well, you were crappy defending it, and I saw why you were crappy defending it. You know, and the so other big worry there, like a worry I have with that stuff is it's very easy to decide to take your foot off the gas and take those mm-hmm. easy games, but what happens is your rhythm starts to suffer and yep. rhythm is huge when, especially on offense. So if you take 10, 15 games to kind of just be like, we're going to coast these games on but when the, when the important games do come, it's going to be like a slap in the face because now yeah. it's become routine to, to be at 50%. It, it, and all of a sudden you need to start ramping up very, very quickly and, you're just going to struggle. It's going to be ugly. That first, if they did this for the next ten out of seventeen games, 
that first two or three games in the first round are either going to be really good because they're fresh or they're going to be absolutely diabolical because they're just they haven't gave themselves the the runway to get to the level where they needed to be. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I think that's a big worry for yeah. me. Yeah. So now that we've talked a lot about the 20 and 45, oh, wait, 45 and 20 Boston Celtics there. You know, they, let, let's not lose full sight of the forest for the trees here. Like it's, you know, it's that they, they are, they're still a good team. They're just in a rough patch right now. They went through a rough patch earlier, bounced back from them, played well. So I'm not, it's, I, I it's funny. We, we're just launching or relaunching the show at a time where it's like, oh, they, kind of playing like crap <laughs> so it's like of course we're probably gonna be a little bit more on the negative side but i do want to recognize there's there's still 45 and 20 they still have one of the best records in the league i think two t- people are starting to finally realize there is no great team in the nba this year there just isn't right there there's no warriors there's no even like that raptors team that won the title there's not even a bucks from a couple years ago no one's gonna win 60 games this year it doesn't look like Right. Like that's that's only happened a handful of times since the league's gone to an 81 games uh, or an 82 game schedule from the 81 game schedule. So it's like though those are, you know, so few and far between that those happen. But that's just kind of where we're at. So when the Celtics, you look up and it's like, man, they felt like they're good, but they only won you know 50 games or whatever it is, 52 games. How, however many they win out of this last, you know, 17 games. 55 whatever it is like it is gonna feel a little bit like man i thought they were better but it's just that's just where the league's at right now right it's you know there's gonna be a whole bunch of teams that are clumped together no one's gonna be we're gonna hit these playoffs and it's gonna be like all right i feel good about this team there's not gonna be a all right write this finals matchup in and i'm gonna take the next month off and i'll see you in june it's just not coming yeah there's so much parity right now and the talent that's coming into the league at the moment is just at a level that it hasn't been at in terms yeah. of like, obviously there's always been elite guys coming in, sure. but there's just so much more scope of talent that's coming in at and a high level now. Part of that comes with only four teams stink. There's only four truly terrible teams. Even even teams with bad records, like Orlando has a bad record, not a bad team, right? And they're playing hard every single night still and getting after it every night. Utah, Oklahoma City, like they made trades that, Pointed them in probably a development direction at the trade deadline, but still playing hard, still getting after it. So those are the things where it's just, you know, get to kind of let's remind everybody, like you might be a little frustrated because like, man, they feel like they should be better than 45 and 20. We fully get it. But the reality is they're just not right. That's just not where the league is this season. So I want to look ahead now to the Cavs game, uh, which is happening later today. And, Shout out to Will Weir, um, and one of my good friends does a, a podcast, The Green with Envy podcast. I, I, I was speaking to him about the Cavs last week, and I want to get your thoughts on this. And one of the things that we kind of come with, like come up with, or what Will brought up and I really agreed with, is the Cavs are one of the only teams in the league that are kind of built in the Celtics image. They've got a three-point stretch big in Mobley to kind of play that Al Horford role. Obviously, there's differences, nuances in their games, but just similar, like, one's a stretch big. They've got that rim runner in Jarrett Allen. They've got two primary scorers in Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. Obviously, they're guards, not wings, but whatever. And it just feels like this team is the reason that the Celtics and Cavs are having so many good battles this season is because the roster construction is so similar. They both run double big lineups for the most part. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on, do you think the Cavs are 
a team that's kind of not only built in similarly to the way the Celtics are built, but also one of the teams that could give the Celtics the most problems. Yeah, I haven't given a lot of thought to being built similarly because I, I, I think there's a – I guess I get hung up on the Tatum Brown versus uh, Garland Mitchell which is portion of that, which is, you know, that so different. But I think that also leads into why they have so much success. Celtics have had trouble with speedy guards this year. Like it's just been kind of a problem. Well, Cleveland has two, right, that they're that are pretty tough to, to take care of, especially Mitchell should get all the love he gets. But man, Darius Garland is good. He is so, so good. And he's so good off the dribble. And just containing those dribble drives has been an issue for Boston this year. So so that's part of it. Um, and then I think conversely, the Cavs don't really have wing defenders. Isaac Okor is better than people give him credit for, but still he's not he, he's not making all defense teams. And then after that, it's that's kind of about it, right? They don't have another guy they can really throw out there. And I think when the Celtics play big. And then they're forcing, all right, well, Mitchell's going to have to guard Brown and Okoro's going to guard Tatum or some combination of that. And they, then if they get into their bench, it's even worse for them. So they give each other trouble in different ways, right? They, they're, they're attacking yeah. players are ones where the other side doesn't have good answers for them. So I think that's part of it. But yeah, up front, there's definitely you know, those similarities. Mobley needs to shoot it more and better uh, from the outside. But, you know, that's that's just a little bit different. But, man, yeah, this Cavs team is tough. Like, I think that's the main thing for me. And then, of course, Dave Karras LeVert coming off the bench who just he's destined to, you know, kill the Celtics, it feels like, you know, on a very regular basis. At least at least two, three times a year he's going to come up with a monster game. Because, But, again, I think part of that's related to Celtics just for whatever reason anymore, they don't do a good job defending you know, guys who attack off the dribble. If you want to move the ball around and run a bunch of screen games and pick and rolls and all that stuff, Boston's going to be fine. But if you ISO against them, against some of the right guys, and even sometimes, because it seemed like Marcus Smart, like maybe wouldn't be the right guy, but it kind of is now, you can, you can get good stuff. This game particularly that's going to be played, you know, Monday night. So by the time probably a lot of people hear this, it might have already been played. But I, I don't even know who the Celtics are going to play. Like I, I put it out there right after the game ended and some people didn't like it where I was like, this might be one, you know, lose the battle to win the war and just say, guess what? Nobody's even going to Cleveland. Like we're going to send JD Davison, uh, Fiondu, Cabangale and a bunch of dudes who didn't really play and a couple more guys to make sure we have the right amount of guys in uniform. And that's it. You know, where the, there's our roster for the evening. Like good, good luck figuring out. Now, that that kind of group almost beat the box in Milwaukee, right? So it can certainly happen. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm curious to see what it looks like. But you know, on the flip side, you may be at a point where Joe Mazzu was like, Yeah, we gotta win a game. So let's just get back at it. And they do have two days off coming up too, uh, later this week. So that's another thing we might see factor in a little bit here too. Maybe just shorten minutes as well, just a deeper rotation could be an option. Oh, Adam, I wish. <laughs> oh, how I wish. I just I don't have any faith that's going to be. You need awesome. to call timeouts to go deep into your rotation. That's the problem. I just, like last night, Peyton Pritchard couldn't see a couple minutes on a night when you didn't have Malcolm Brogdon. Like, you know, you, you, you had to run guys, you know, 45, 50 minutes. Like, I, I don't know. That's just you know, a little bit much for me. I'll say the other thing on the rotation is going to find a way. We got to get Derek White out there you know and that yeah they, this might seem blasphemous to some and i know for others they're gonna be you know hallelujah you're preaching to us but you might you know be a better option to close some of these games than marcus smart 
Like it just, you know, sometimes Smart just doesn't have it. And you know, White more consistently than not, he's 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 kind of got something. And it's you know, I also trust him when the defense is scrambled with the ball in his hands to break it down and either get himself a good shot or or create something for somebody a little bit more than to do Marcus Smart right now at the moment. I just, you know, I don't know if Smart's beat up or what it is. It's again, it's probably a combination of a bunch of stuff, but yeah, I just let's let's see Derek White on the floor at the end of these games. I'd feel very, very comfortable with that. I think that White shot selection has been more consistent as well than yeah. what Smart has in recent games. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, that's stretch, that's Mark Smart will make tonight probably you know seven of those Marcus Smart plays and it'll win the game for them. It'll be like, oh, that's why he's on the floor at the end. Right? Yeah, that's the Marcus Smart experience, though, right? You yep, get upset absolutely. with him, then you're just like, man, I love this guy so yep, much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, we're running a little bit over, so I'm gonna yeah. push straight into the Trailblazers now. Just where, granted, this is one of the teams I've seen the least all season. I've watched quite a few teams. The Blazers, I just never got round to really going deep into them. I know that since Cam Reddish has got there, he's been kind of proving doubters wrong. At least having some success within his role. I'm not saying he's got there yeah. in all of a sudden being. Oh, he's playing well. Yeah. Um, yep. Other than that, that's as much as I've got for you. So, what are we? So, if you want to take this preview away, go for it. Yeah, I mean, this is a must. This one is the must win for the Celtics for me. They have to win this game because this also starts before I believe it's a six-game road trip. This is the last home game. You got two days off after this one. Damian Lillard can be really difficult, right? I mean, he's obviously amazing, um, but. It's it's a lot of Damian Lillard and sometimes not much else. We don't know if Anthony Simons will play. He's been injured, um, so he may not play. Yusuf Nurkic probably not going to play. They're dealing with a ton of injuries. This is one where I look at this Cavs one, especially coming off a double overtime game where they had to travel. And I think Sean Grandy tweeted it was just before three in the morning before the team landed in Cleveland. This that one's kind of whatever happens tonight happens. This game, coming back home after a day off against Portland, two days off, and then a long road trip, you there can be no excuses. You have to win this game. If, if they lose this one, feel free, people, to unless it's Dame had 78 points and you know hit a 90-foot buzzer beater, and it's like, what are you going to do? And feel free to panic and go you know, full-on you know, madness if they lose this one because they've got to win this game. Portland's not terrible. But this is a game the Celtics should win with relative ease if they are who we think they are. And then we come back on the next episode and we talk about how the Celtics are on a two-game winning streak and everything's looking rosy. <laughs> there it is. That's, that's how it uh, goes, right? We'll be all yeah, I mean, that's fandom, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you kind yeah, of roll with it. the tide. I, yeah. I put a tweet out the other day saying, like, when I try and watch when I watch games, I try not to get emotional. Like, I try to be very even keel because I want to take notes and I want to be able to know when to scrub back and, but there's been a few times this year where I've been either very annoyed or very elated, and it has swung me one or the other way. And that's been fun in itself, but at the moment I'm very much trying to stay on the fence with everything because I'm <laughs> like, man, it's so easy to get down on this team right now, yeah. and I just don't think they deserve it after the year they've had. Yeah, it's tough. I'm, I'm straddling the line between like I want to stay positive because they're still a good team. Like I don't want to act like a joke like the 20 and 45 Boston Celtics, right? Like they're, they're not right. They're good. Uh, but 
that doesn't mean there's not things that shouldn't concern you too, right? So it's, it's I think, fair to be balanced. So I fully get where you're coming from with that because there are times when I tend to save the elation moments more for the playoffs. So maybe I'm like the Celtics in that way. Maybe, maybe I'm just I'm ready for the playoffs to come too. And like, let's just you know, let's get through this next month and let's get to the good stuff. Where you, like, I'm going to take it as a win. If by the time we, I'll take it as a win, if by the next time me and you record a podcast, there hasn't been a report of a players only meeting. <laughs> as long as we get that to that point without a players only sure. meeting, I'm cool. Everything's fine. Yeah, I I will say this too. This is my last point. These guys need to find a way to have fun again, because yeah. but but have it in the right way. Because I think they were trying to force having fun against the Nets. Like you just got to find a way to get back to. And I think for them that starts with. Lock teams up defensively, make their lives miserable. Like when 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 they made that finals run last year, there were those home games where the crowd was like, "Uh oh, this team's in for it now," and they would lock in, and they would just love it. Right, the, the crowd loves it. So, and I go, I don't know if you saw Tibbs' quote. He was asked about Emmanuel quickly dancing. Yeah, I love and, this quote and all that stuff. You know, winning is fun. Winning is way more fun than fun is fun. Like that's. <laughs> I couldn't agree more with that. You know, that's such a Tibbs quote. I think it's absolutely perfect. But find your fun again, Celtics, and then I think the winning will start to come. With that, I'm going to let everybody out of here for the day. We'll be back on, I think we're scheduled to record on Thursday. Mm -hmm. Thursday. Yes, Thursday. So um, we will speak to everybody on Thursday, or if you choose to listen the day after on Friday. Until then, hopefully the Celtics can get a couple of Ws in the bank. Keith, as always, it's been awesome, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. We're super excited that you guys joining us here on this relaunch of the Celtics Collective on Heavy Sports. So, you know, hopefully you'll find find some different stuff here. And, uh, you know, Adam, we know Adam will bring all the X's and O's. And then I'll I'll counter with things like, yeah, I know what your numbers are saying and what you're telling me you saw. But this is how I feel. So that's that's the fun thing. And we're going to have a lot of fun covering the rest of this year. Hopefully a long, deep run for the Celtics the rest of this season. And then during the offseason, there will be a random episode where we do the starting five of Celtics killers because we've mentioned Perfect. two already this one episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 we'll pick a few. Tyler Johnson needs to get back in the league, though. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let everybody out of here. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.